Let me pray for us. Well, God, you are a God who is far beyond our comprehension, but yet you have chosen to make yourself known. You have spoken to us through your word. This word that is living and active, it's not just an old book, but a book that impacts us daily, that transforms us daily. And God, we come now, we want to sit under this book. We just want to sit under your word. We want to hear from you. We are inviting you in this moment to, to speak into our hearts, to change our lives, that we may, uh, some of us just have a more precious awe and wonder of who you are. Others of us need to change course. So I pray, O oh God, that you would speak even now as we come and listen. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, and I'll read from verses 1 through 20. Let's hear God speak. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when, Jesus, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran, and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus. And they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him. But he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away 
and he began to proclaim it in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. What an incredible portion of God's word. I always hesitate reading the Gospels to say this story, because oftentimes a story is false, but this is a true account of Jesus. And and last week we looked at the storm, right? And how Jesus uh, commanded the wind and the waves to, to be still, and they were. That was the very storm that led them to this side of the sea. This was the sole mission for going across that sea. For enduring the storm, for the disciples thinking they were about to die, this was the reason. So that this man might be released. And so that from him would trickle on a a story of the mercy of God in that land. Jesus and his disciples did not stay there. There was not a witness from Jesus and his core team. They went, Jesus did his thing, and they left again. Last week, it's incredible to think of, of the disciples, uh, their, their fear that they were captured by in the moment of the storm and, and in the trial that they had no control over, but Jesus did. And yet he knew, he didn't only know the storm was coming, he didn't even know, he, he also knew that the amount that they would be afraid, that they thought they were facing death, but he still said, hey, let's go. Everybody get on the boat. And other boats were with them. And so Jesus invited them all into this storm that was about to take place because of what what would happen in them in terms of a transformation, in terms of awe and wonder, but also what might happen on the other side, that he would meet this man. Look at verse 1 where it says, They came to the other side of the sea, so they got through the storm in the night, terrified. The disciples now wondering, who is this man that he even controls the wind and the waves when he speaks to them? And when they had stopped, verse 2, and Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. There's this man, a terrifying man. It doesn't even indicate if the disciples got out of the boat. If they had got out of the boat, I can guarantee they would have hidden behind Jesus. This man was a terrifying man, a man who ran out from among the tombs. And, and if, you, if you know your Old Testament well, then you know that tombs, dead bodies, graveyards was unclean already. It was an unclean area. Jews did not go there. It was unclean. And this is, it says, where he lived. He lived among the tombs. Where, where it would either be uh, a carving out of a rock, where, where, bone, where the body would be laid and there would be bones all in there. He lived in there. He would go from tomb to tomb to tomb, finding shelter. This is where he lived, in tombs. Because Jesus' tomb was sealed, but a lot of tombs were not sealed. They would let the body decay, collect the bones, and sometimes they'd take those bones with them if the family happened to move, right? So he would live among these tombs. Such a scary man. Uh, such a man with a, a, such the amount of strength that it says no one could subdue him. But it's interesting to me in verse 3, it says no one could bind him anymore. Why did they bind him to begin with? This is a man who needed to be bound, needed to be tied up, chained. He was like a wild animal. 
He terrified the people. They sent him out. They tried to, they tried to confine him, and nothing could confine the man. Here he was, living like an animal. Would have been scavenging for something to eat. Living among dead bodies in the tombs. And he was, as we would describe, crazy. He was out of his mind. It was a scary scene. And he came running up to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever experienced somebody who's having a mental health crisis or someone who has cognitive, uh, uh, yeah, lack of the ability to control their behavior. If you've ever experienced that, sometimes you'll see it in in the homeless population or someone uh, strung out on drugs. And you see just this, they're not in control. It's terrifying. It's terrifying in their presence. And here, he comes running up to Jesus and the disciples as soon as he gets out of the boat. If you or I were there, we'd be terrified. We'd be jumping back in the boat. It's a terrifying man. And and look at verse 4. He had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched them apart. He broke the shackles to pieces. He had incredible strength in his aggression. Talk about aggressive strength, superhuman strength. I have witnessed that with my own eyes. Someone scrawnier than I who can lift a 300-pound cabinet in rage. But then as soon as the rage is gone, can't lift a box that was on top. I've witnessed it. The rage is terrifying. It's terrifying. And here's this man with such strength and power to break chains, to break any handcuffs they would put him in. And he runs to Jesus. No one before had ever had the strength to subdue him. He needed to be bound. He needed to be controlled, subdued like an animal. He runs to Jesus. There's this terrifying man. Look at verse 5. It goes to show you his inner battle as well that expresses itself outwardly. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, night and day. God doesn't have a sleep schedule. In the middle of the night, he can be having an outburst night and day among the tombs, just terrifying enough. All over the mountains, he was always crying out. He was screaming. He was shrieking. He was crying out and cutting himself. He was, cut, he was just enraged. With, he didn't know with himself, with the world. He was shouting. He was screaming. At what? He didn't know. He had no control. He had lost it. And he was terrifying. And no one wanted him near. But you see what Jesus did? He went to this outcast. He didn't run. He didn't say, stay in the boat. Jesus knew precisely. Before they'd even left, Jesus knew that man. He knew his situation. He knew no one wanted to be near him. He knew what he was like. He knew how terrifying he was to to every other human being. Jesus went. He pursued him. And he got out of the boat. He looked him in the eye like no one probably had in years. All people had been trying to do, it seems, is just trying to put him in chains. Get him out. Keep him away. Fight him off. But no one could do that. And here's Jesus. That's not his intent at all. He does not intend to subdue this man. He does not intend to chain him up or to sort him out. Incredible. 
This man, I can't picture what he looks like. He'd been cutting himself with stones. Infection everywhere. Gouges. I've seen people who are self-injurious against their own wishes. And it's sad how many gouges they have all over their body. And here's this man. With, with, why would he do that to himself, people would say. Why would you do that? There's no reason. There's no valid reason why one would do that. You can't reason a person away from that. Stop harming yourself. I've been face to face with people who are in the middle of self-injurious behavior. Causing themselves to bleed near death. And you can't reason with them. There's no saying, well, if you do that, it's going to hurt. There, there's no stopping. It's that sort of behavior. Here's this man. Cut himself all over. Shrieking, screaming. He's, he's uncontrollable. He's terrifying. In, in our world, we would have done what with him? Lock him away. Lock him away. And yet, here he is. Come to Jesus. Verse 6 says, when he saw Jesus from afar. What's incredible is, it wasn't that like there had been posters distributed of Jesus all over the region. It's not like he's like, oh, yes, I've seen his face before. I know what he looks like. He, I think that's the guy. Let me run to him. I think that's the healer. No. Clearly, this was a spiritual inclination to Jesus. There's something about this man. And it wasn't just that, oh, somebody finally stepped off the boat. Let me go and attack them. It wasn't the case. He saw Jesus from afar and he ran and he fell down before him. Why did he fall down before him? This is a man who's fought off everybody else. And yet he has now fallen in weakness, in exhaustion. In that moment, he could have been subdued, I guarantee you. He fell down before Jesus, utter weakness. And he says with a loud voice, verse 7, crying out with a loud voice. Shrieking, screaming, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Jesus had not introduced himself. He had not given this man a theology lesson and said, I am indeed the son of the most high God. My disciples haven't even said that yet. And they've seen me do amazing things. And here is this man. But it's not the man speaking, is it? It is the spiritual forces within him overwhelming his voice box and speaking. What have you to do with me? Why are you here? Jesus names him and titles him properly. You are the son of the most high God. And that's incredible to me. This demon-possessed man, the demons within him had the right theology. They knew all the facts about Jesus, right? The demons knew the facts about Jesus. They could say he was the son of God. Well, good for them. Are they, does that mean they're a Christian? The demons, of course not. Just saying the right things and knowing the right things to call Jesus doesn't make someone a Christian. These demons knew the right things even more so than the disciples. Indeed, he was the son of the most high God. The God over all. And he had just displayed himself as the God over creation. And now here he comes, and this demon-possessed man falling before him, crying out with a loud voice, he says, look at uh, the end of verse 7, I adjure you by God 
do not torment me. I, I adjure you by God. Like, it is by God that I want you to act. It is by God, you are his son, the most high. It's by his will, his plan, his purpose. That's what I'm appealing to, is God's plan. And I, I'm appealing to what God would do. God might torment the demons, wouldn't he? The demons know the future. They know what's to come. They know that there is torment forever and ever. And so the question is like, are you here to torment me here and now? Because torment's coming for the demonic realm and all those who embrace it and do not embrace Jesus. He says, do not torment me. In verse 8, for Jesus was saying, the, the reason he says, don't torment me is because Jesus was saying, it says, um, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Come out of him. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Who did he ask? So it's such a weird picture, right? Because there's this conversation there's a man, he's a vessel pretty much. He's almost like an empty shell. He hasn't, he hasn't been able to control himself with cutting his body, with shrieking, with, with his aggression, with what he's doing to other people, to himself. He's a shell of a man. And Jesus speaks. He says, what's your name? It's not talking to the man because it's the demons that's crying out. Well, you're here to torment us. So what's your name? He says, my name is legion, for we are many. My name, interesting, is legion, for we are many. And we have an indication of how many, because when it comes to the herd of pigs, it says there's about 2,000. About 2,000. That's the number it gives us. About 2,000 demons had possessed this man. Think about that. Like, oftentimes here in North America, we don't think very clearly about demon possession. We think that's something for the uh, fictional movies. We think it's something that may have happened, and we kind of have a hard time believing it because we don't really see it. And we know that, you know, someone who is self-injurious, they can be medicated, and that seems to do it. Uh, those sorts of things. And so sometimes we just think, oh, it's just chemical imbalances, right? And it can be all controlled. We don't really think about demon possession. Well, we are in the minority of the world that does not really believe in demon possession. Haiti, it's real. Seen it. Terrifying. Like, literally, you see people's eyes change. You see vapor come out of people when they're released. Levitating trees. Like, we don't believe this. We think that there's no way. But it's recorded again and again in Scripture. It happens... Africa still talks about it all the time. And so you wonder, what, what is it about North America that we just seem to think, ah, demons aren't a thing? It's because, really, whether it's not demons would impact us or not impact us, there are so many more subtle demons that we face, you know? Greed, and greed, the, the manifestations of greed in us could be demons that are just taking over our lives. They control you. They, they literally have you have an impulse to this or that. We don't know what's demon possession in a person and what's not. We're never told, uh, you know, here's the steps to find out if someone's demon possessed. 
And even in this passage, we're not even told, here's how to exercise a demon. Do, do these three steps and splash this water and say these things and the demon's coming out. We're not told any of that. What we're shown is this man is possessed by a real demon and more than one, approximately 2,000 demons that are plaguing him and controlling him in a way that he is an empty shell of a man and he is done. He replied, my name is Legion for we are many. And, and he begged them earnestly. He, that would be probably the, so the idea of a legion is a commander of a of two to 5,000 of an army, right? So maybe there's a commander, uh, a key demon who's speaking to Jesus on behalf of the, the whole collective army that's within this man. It says in verse 10, he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Verse 11 then gives us a picture of the scene. It says, now there was a great herd of pigs feeding on the hillside. And again, remember, pigs in the Jewish nation was another unclean thing. You have unclean tombs, an unclean man with, de- with demons, unclean pigs. The whole scene is unclean. Any religious man would have stepped back on the boat. They would have tried to park it somewhere else. But not near the tombs, not near the pigs, and definitely not near this man. That's not Jesus. Jesus pulled right up into this unclean mess, this unceremonial. He he would be now unclean. Jesus would not be welcome in the temple because he's now interacting with this man. But yet, that's not Jesus. Jesus comes for those who are unclean. This man and you and me and everyone we know who might be unclean in any regard. Verse 10, he begged him, oh sorry, verse 11, there's these pigs on the hillside. And then they begged, so now there's more than one demon now beginning to beg Jesus. They begged him, in verse 12, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Interesting, those two requests. Send us. That's very interesting. That is a recognition of the authority of Jesus. You have the authority alone to send us, to command us, send us to the pigs. And then we need your permission. The second part says, let us. Let us. We are unable to do anything apart from your approval or disapproval. And we know, like, that's terrifying. But at the same time, it is reassuring. And it just reminds me of Job, right? Where... Satan was on a leash. He could only do what God would allow in Job's life in terms of his torment, his trials, his tribulations. He was only allowed to go so far. And God said, no more. Enough. Same thing. The demons recognize here. We can go nowhere that you do not permit us to go. We, can, we cannot do anything. We do not have permission to go over there. We don't have the ability to go into those pigs on our own. So that's unbelievable to me. Because, you know, we think, I would assume, you know, oh, just demons do their own things or Satan's sending a demon to me or demons going over. If that was the case. But it seems here that these demons are, are trapped in this man. And they need to be sent, released, And they need permission from God. They need permission from God. And that's the incredible thing. This is a recognition of Jesus as God. 
He is Lord over the spiritual realm as well. Not just the earth, not just the wind, not just the waves. But even over the spiritual world, he is Lord. He controls it. He's in charge of it. Verse 13. So, he gave them permission. He gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea, and it drowned in the sea. It's incredible the impact of those demons on the pigs. The pigs' first inclination when possessed by this demon was to die. The pig's inclination, as soon as they were possessed by this demon, was, I want to die. I'm going to pursue death. The pigs had never run down the mountain before. They would see the day. They'd never done this. As soon as the demon was in them, it it compelled them to die. There was 2,000 of those demons in this one man. Imagine... Imagine the turmoil within this man. Likely wanting to die all day long, night and day. He's shrieking out, he's screaming, he's crying, he's cutting himself. He likely just wanted nothing but to die. But God did not permit him to die. God did not permit. God allowed this man, as hard as it is to believe and see, he allowed this man to endure this trial. God permitted these demons to possess this man for the season that he was possessed. To go through such agony, such trial. And yet, there's a reason for it. Which we'll see in a moment. But the herdsmen uh, of these pigs panicked. Panicked. Look at verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. Everyone they saw, you will not believe what just happened. You know that crazy guy out by the tombs? He's sitting down right now. And the pigs, they're dead. 2,000 of them, gone in a second. I don't know what happened. He became okay, and the pigs went nuts, and they ran off the, the cliff. He's telling everybody he sees. And then they, everyone who's heard, verse 15, and they came to Jesus And they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion. He was sitting there. Sitting there. He wasn't enraged. He wasn't acting out. wasn't trying to throw a fit. He was sitting there, clothed. So Jesus and his disciples clothed the man. He didn't have clothes. And in his right mind. In his right mind. Wow. Wow. The people who saw this says at the end of verse 15, they were afraid. They were afraid. Why would they be afraid? They feared this man before, right? He was a threat to them. As as you and I would have been threatened by him. But now they feared what had just happened. They were afraid. And it's it's really interesting because in in the last story where Jesus calms the storm, it says of the disciples that they were afraid. Once he had calmed the sea, they were afraid. But it's a different sort of fear because their fear led them to awe and reverence. 
These people fear. See where it leads them. And those who had seen it, others started to describe the story. Verse 16, they described what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pig. So there was eyewitnesses. This wasn't just a story that Jesus' disciples made up to like look good in the, in the books. There was eyewitnesses of what had happened, and they told everybody around. So then what happened? Verse 17, these people who were afraid, who just literally, before their very eyes, had seen a miracle, though they didn't see the transformation, they saw the effects of the transformation in this man. Verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. What? How hard-hearted do you have to be to witness such a thing and to say, get out of here? Rather than say, come, we have somebody else. Come, we have problems. Come, we need you. Instead, their fear led them to push him away. They asked him, they begged him to depart from their region. And so he, he complied. If someone says, just get away, I want to do my own thing, Jesus. Get away, I don't need you. Jesus says, okay. You know who I am. You know what I've done. You know what I'm able to do. I'll, I'll, I'll take a step back. So Jesus steps back, verse 18 He's getting into the boat. And then the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him. So these these people of the countryside and of the city were begging Jesus to leave. Now this man is begging Jesus. He says he begged him that he might be with him. Can I come? Please let me be with you. I'm a disciple. I believe in you. I trust in you. I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. I want to stay with you. Clearly this man's homeless. It's not like he's leaving anything behind, right? He's now in a life change. And what does that life change produce? But a, I want to be with Jesus. I want to be near to him. I want to be with you. And look at verse 19. Jesus did not permit him. He didn't permit him. Well, like that, how heartbreaking would that be? He's like, you just transformed me. I want to be with you. Like, is there just not room? I'll take another boat. Like, can I just come? Jesus said, you don't have permission. And the man Listens, of course. But what Jesus tells him was, there is something for you to do here. I don't permit you because this thing's greater than this moment. It's greater than you, this little transformation you've had. It's greater than me just being here for a second. He says in verse 19, go. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he's had mercy on you. And so he obeyed. Verse 20. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So he, he obeyed. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. So it's a whole region of cities. He went from place to place to place. I got to tell you what Jesus has done for me. He proclaimed it. Anyone who will listen, come. Let me tell you a story. I was once this. Look at the scars you can see. I'm a mangled mess. But Jesus made me whole. He made me new. He made me human. He made me want to live. He gave me a hope beyond this life. He transformed me. He proclaimed it. And then everyone who had heard marveled. Because they probably heard about this crazy guy who lived among the tombs. And if they had not, then they would see the scars and be like, how could someone do so much damage to themselves? It's incredible, though, that Jesus 
wouldn't allow him to come. Like, you would think, just, yeah, sure, come along. Come with me. You can join our team. Yeah, you'd be a great witness on the road, right? But no, it was even a greater witness at home. He said, go home. The people here in your area are afraid. They're afraid. They just don't know what happened. And some of them, it might take time to process. Some of them, you need to be here for when they're ready to hear. They need someone to proclaim what God has done for them. And that's you. It's not, it's not one of my disciples. My disciples could stay and try to tell your story, but it's not going to have the impact. You need to go home. And you need to tell your friends. Your friends know you. Your friends saw you progress and maybe at one point just flip a switch and be demon-possessed and become this man they never even imagined. You have to go tell your friends. And the same thing with us, right? You could have an evangelist come through town and try preaching the gospel to everyone you know, but what's going to be most impactful is you. You going to your home. You going to your friends. And it's incredible because he doesn't tell him, go and uh, describe to them how I'm the son of the most high God. Make sure you got all the points right. Make sure you know everything before you start to talk. Right? You got to have all the answers or you're not allowed to talk. Because that's sometimes our excuse, right? I don't, I don't know everything. I don't know how to answer people's questions. And I'm not sure what to say. There, there's none of that complication, was there? He told him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. It's the same call to you and to me. Go home and to your friends and tell them what the Lord has done for you. You don't need to be able to uh, give them a whole Old Testament lesson. You don't need to be able to describe the covenants or what atonement means or, or, or substitute anything. You can tell them because if you have entrusted uh, the Lord with your life, you have believed the gospel that, that you've come to a conviction that you are a sinner and that your sin is going to keep you away from God's presence, not just in this life, but for all of eternity. You've come to understand that sin is offensive to God. You've come to want to hate the sin in your life. And then you've come to understand that Jesus is the only way to be saved, to be released, to be free. Then that's what you tell. You tell how you came to that understanding. You tell what, what God exposed in you. You tell how he exposed in you. You tell how he broke you and, and made you fall down before him. What was your story? How much has he done for you? How much has he done? The sins that you know that plague your heart, the things you've done in the past that you know in Christ are forgiven. Forgiven. How much has he done for you? If you have entrusted yourself to him and you believe he has wiped your slate clean, he has done so much for you and you can share that. Especially with the people who trust you, the people who know you. Expose yourself to them. Lay yourself bare before them and say, listen, this is the, I'm going to name the sin. This is the sin that I was captured by. This sin controlled me. It compelled me. I couldn't do anything but live for this sin. But Jesus, Jesus appeared. And I don't know how or why I was reading my Bible or someone talked to me about the Lord or, or it was a car crash or whatever happened to me. Jesus came and, and I believed. I believed that I actually finally could be forgiven. Not because I did something good. Not because I had started going to church or I got baptized or anything. I believed that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and that God poured his wrath out 
Instead of on me, he poured it on Jesus. He's done so much for me. Go tell those who, who know you. Because here's the thing. You might think, well, they're going to think I'm crazy. Huh? Case in point. Everyone this guy knew was going to think he's crazy. He was crazy. And so there's, that's not an excuse. You don't get to say, well, people are going to think I'm crazy if I start sharing about what Jesus has done in my life. They may. But here's a guy who actually was, and he was told to go and share. He was told to go and ex- describe, because, yes, you, you, in this world we will sound like total foreigners. Like we are aliens. This message of the gospel is craziness. It's foolishness to those who don't have eyes to see, but you don't know whose heart is receptive in this moment. You don't know who is just in this moment just going like, maybe throwing up a prayer. You know how some people are just like, oh God, if you're real, show yourself to me. Some people will say that, right? You don't know who of your friends or your family has done that this week. So God, just show yourself. And then you show up and say, I want to tell you what God has done for me. Say, okay, I used to think you're crazy, but now I'm starting to think I'm crazy. I guess I'll listen. You never know what God is up to. And so therefore, we just obey. We just, and that's what the beauty to me, like this man would have loved so much to be with Jesus. But Jesus said, there was something greater for you to do here in this place. You need to go and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. So he did it. He did it. He obeyed. He said, this is exactly, it's so cool because um, when Jesus commands him to go in verse uh, 19 there, go and tell them what the Lord has done for you the Lord, right? And so then in verse 20, it says, he began to tell them what Jesus had done. Jesus is the Lord. He's Lord over creation. We saw that. Now he's Lord over every other realm. He gives permission or he does not grant permission to the spiritual realm. And he does that in your life and my life. He's in charge and he's doing incredible things. And so are you aware of them? Even the little victories. You know, you might not have been um, somebody who was uh, self-injurious. You might not have been a, a murderer or an adulterer. But I'm sure you've told a lie. I'm sure, Maybe you were a compulsive liar. Maybe you love to gossip. Maybe you have anger in your heart. Maybe you're overwhelmed by fear. Maybe you don't trust God at times. These are little things that... When God gives you victory, you can tell other people what the Lord has done for you. And it's through these life experiences. And sometimes it'll take six people to share with a friend of yours or a family member to go, it sounds like God has worked in unique ways. It wasn't just one crazy story. God seems to be at work and he seems to be saying something to me, right? How many times have you heard people say, God just seemed to be speaking through another person or through their story? So that's what God gives us. He doesn't expect you to be the sharpest mind or have the the smoothest words or have a perfect gospel presentation. But he does expect us, when he has done so much for him, to proclaim it, to tell others. And that's the beauty. It's not hard. If it is hard, then you have to stop. You need to pray and you need to journal. What has he done for me? Do I not think he's done anything for me? If I am unwilling or I don't think I have anything to share, I need to really stop and pause because maybe, maybe I haven't even believed. If I think that he's done nothing for me, clearly I don't think I'm much of a sinner. Maybe I've not actually even come and fallen face down before Jesus. Have I ever come? Has he done much for me? Has he done much for you? 
If you don't think so, reevaluate. Reevaluate, because if you still don't think so at the end, then you must cry out to Jesus to save you. If he has saved you, you will recognize what he's done. And that could have been a year ago, it could have been 50 years ago, it could be tomorrow. But you realize that the weight of your sin is not just the guilt that you feel. It's not just the, the impact that you have towards other people. The weight of our sin is eternal. The wages of our sin is death. Separation from God for all of eternity. Jesus says those who are under the wrath of God will remain there unless released. Do we believe that for ourselves? And if that's the case, to have been released from that, transformed away from that, transferred into a new person, we have much to tell. You don't need some crazy stories. You don't need some miraculous story that's going to blow people away you need to write a book about. If you've been converted by Jesus, you have a story. You have a story, an incredible story. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I once was destined for hell, but now I'm destined for life eternal. That's a story to tell. Tell others what he has done for you. Not just the the benefits you feel, but really the, the transformation of your soul. The transformation of your desires in your heart. Just bear it before the people proclaim it. And by God's grace, some might marvel. Some might marvel at what he's done in your life. And he continues to do. And that's the beauty of a testimony. It is living. A testimony is not just a, tell me the story about how Jesus saved you in 1976. That's not just a testimony. Testimony is, yes, this is how God originally rescued me, but this is how God has been rescuing me year after year after year. And this is how God has been growing me and transforming me and and knocking me down when I thought I was holy and showing me I was so wrong. A A testimony is transformative. It is transforming and it transforms people's lives when they hear it. And so God tells us, just like this man, to go and share it. You have a testimony? If you do, you should share it. And if you can't recall, you don't, you, know, you don't know what you would say, start jotting stuff down. What has he done for me? If you have a short list, pray and add some more tomorrow. Pray and add some more the next day. He who is forgiven little loves little. If you're forgiven lots, you will love lots. Right? That's what Jesus says about the, the woman who was the Pharisees looked down upon as so unholy. He said, man, she's been, she realizes how much she's been forgiven of. Therefore, she loves me so much more than you ever could. The more we realize that he has done for us, the more we will love him. Obviously, this man was a dramatic, dramatic transformation. So he, right away, the love, he wanted to be with him. Ought that, that ought to be in our hearts too. The desire to be with Jesus and and obedience to go and tell, so that others might want to be with Jesus too. What a great uh, account here of this man, so terrifying. But now he's of right and he's in sound mind. He's able to go and to tell others about Jesus, who can transform lives too. We have that hope, we have that message, and others need to hear it. Let's pray. Oh God, you are so amazing the way you work. We see the picture of this man and uh, we would tremble in his presence. 
And yet, Jesus didn't. Jesus pursued this outcast. He pursued what was terrifying to everyone else. Thank you that, that you, O oh God, pursue us. We are outcasts. We are sinners. And yet, you pursue us. And you transform us by the power of the gospel. And we thank you so much for that transformation and pray that uh, each one of us would have confessed our sin to you and, and said, we need you and we believe Jesus. Help us to live for you. God, may each one here have embraced you as their Savior. And if we have, then, then we have a story to tell how much you have done for us. So God, may we be then obedient and faithful to tell. It's not our story. It's not our testimony. It's a story of you at work in us. Thank you so much that your story is not done, that you're not done with us yet, that you are constantly changing us, constantly doing so much for us that we always have something to tell. And so, God, would you give us boldness and courage to tell? Would you open um, opportunities to tell? Would you allow us the, the capacity to remember how much you've done for us, that we might share it with those so that you might get the glory and others, by your grace, may be saved? Thank you for your word. In Christ's name, amen.